Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's good to be with you together on this fourth Sunday in Advent. My name is Chris. And before we get into the, the message, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll, we'll start reading in verse 39. But before we do, I'll share an update. Beginning on uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to be going to a mask optional reality for everyone, old and, and young, at Trinity. And uh, up until recently, um, actually up until the 24th, we've had masks on our kids and it's been optional uh, for grown-ups. And we're, we're going to go to that place as we consider kind of the, the reality that we're um, in a place where we're living with COVID and uh, the responsibility seems to, to be pushing to individuals to figure out how they're charting a course with um, grown-ups and kids alike. Um, we also know that this is uh, hard stuff, you know. Uh, we have a church made up of people with all different kinds of uh, perspectives on so many different things, and this just being one of them. And our leadership team and, and people who are consulting us, we're trying to kind of strike a middle ground and doing the best we can with that. So we're going to continue to have a mask uh, mandated and distant section in our sanctuary for the foreseeable future, as well as uh, the chapel behind this back wall. Um, it's a place where masks are mandated and there's space to watch the service just right on the the other side and we're going to continue live streaming this service for a while so if you're joining us on the live stream welcome we're so glad you are with us um, and we're paying attention um, I, I for four months was really checked out of of one of the great gifts of being away was I didn't really think about the coronavirus a whole lot um, over four months away so just getting our feet back into it and it Ormacon sounds like a, a transformer um, and is that's alarming enough if you are my age you grew up with the transformers and so uh, we're paying attention to deaths and hospitalizations and you know this is going to have a lot of twists and turns as we go so we're just going to take steps forward and do the best we can so we would ask that you still wear clothes to church but if you want to take your masks off uh, you, you can and we would also love your kids to wear clothes but if you want them to take their masks off they can um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 1. We're going to read kind of a long passage, but it's a beautiful one um, with two of my favorite figures in the New Testament, Mary and Elizabeth. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment to what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy in accordance to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the Bible. 
Um, Lord, we thank you specifically for these two women and their babies, the mother of John the baptizer and the mother of Jesus, our Savior. God, we thank you for these four meeting in the hill country in a little out of the way place, a a not important place, a nowhere place. God, such an important thing happened. Father, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for your work, that even when it seems like it's in gestation, God, that it's still real, that something real is happening. And this story tells us that, Lord. We pray, God, that as you lead us closer to Christmas morning, that we would see maybe what you are doing in us that still feels like it's in a form of gestation. It's hidden, God, maybe small, maybe vulnerable. Help us to see what you're doing. Cooperate with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Just like a few days before Christmas. And maybe some of us are thinking, gosh, I just got away from me again. You know, it's like we say every year, you know, Advent is a time to get ready. It's a time to prepare our hearts. And then here we are, you know, and maybe you think, gee, six days and I'm not feeling the Christmas vibes. I mean, yesterday we we drove to the mountains to visit my parents who live up in North Georgia. And, you know, it looked like Christmas, but it didn't feel like Christmas. It was like 65 degrees. The fog was betraying us, I think. I thought, oh, Christmas. And then you get out and you're sweating. It doesn't feel like Christmas. And maybe for you, the, the struggle to catch up with the season doesn't have anything to do with the weather. Maybe you just feel trafficked or distracted or heavy or um, frustrated, or maybe you're bracing for family time that will feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're facing some grief and pain that you're going to have to sit with this year at Christmas time. For the multitude of reasons, many of us struggle to live in a place of being present to what this season is really supposed to be about. So if you're in that place, I just want to say you're not alone. You're in good company. Maybe most of us in this room are feeling a little bit of like, huh, here comes Christmas. How do I get ready for it? How do I feel what I want to feel when it comes to Christmas time? These two women for me are... Um, exemplars, I think, of what it means to to know Jesus. And I've heard people in the church say that Elizabeth and Mary teach us what it means to be a female who follows God. And I I just want to say that's unsatisfactory to me. I, I think Mary and Elizabeth are exemplars of what it means to follow God, period. So men in the room, um, today I would invite you to make Mary and Elizabeth your teacher. You need to try to be like them. And some of us grew up in traditions where we, we don't know how to try to be like or emulate something that feels um, different from our, our gender assigned at birth. And yet I just want to say to you, um, I'm only going to say three things. One of them is this, taken together, these two women show us what it means to make room for God, period. And Christmas is all about making room for God. And one of the reasons why I love this meeting, so Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, uh, they, they know one another, they're family. And so um, just think about that for a minute. The mother of John and the mother of Jesus are, are family. Um, Mary is younger, Elizabeth is older. They've both had an angel, the same angel, come and visit them and tell them that they're going to have miracle babies. Elizabeth, because she's too old. Mary, she's too young. And yet they both hear from God and they're both pregnant. And the text tells us that they meet in the Judean countryside, in the hill country, which is um, Bible speak for like the middle of nowhere, an unimportant place, a place where there weren't going to be news cameras and there weren't going to be religious elites wandering around. Mary was escaping probably a lot of pain, 
a lot of scandal, a lot of confusion. Uh, she's an unwed mom. And so she just gets out of town. She leaves her town. And if you've ever grown up in a small town, you know what it feels like. Everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. And so Mary says, I got to get out of town. And she thinks, I'm going to go visit my, my cousin. My cousin's safe. My cousin will love me even if everybody else is questioning me. And so this meeting happens in the hill country. And these two women both in their own way have to decide that they're going to make room for God. And I love Mary and Elizabeth's story and how it comes together because on one side, Elizabeth feels regret. She feels too old. She feels like life has passed her by. She's not been able to have children and she and her husband are super devout Jews and they've longed for a baby and they don't have one. And she gets to that point in life to where she just thinks there's a lot of water under the bridge. I, I guess what I long for is just not gonna happen. And maybe today you're in a place where you think, there's a lot of water under the bridge. Maybe the thing that I hope God would do is just not going to happen. And a lot of us, that disappointment and that sadness gets magnified this time of year. And it's so dissonant, isn't it? Because everything around us is telling us to be excited and hopeful. And maybe today you're sitting here with grief in your heart thinking, I wanted something from God and I don't feel like I have it or I hope for something in a relationship and I, I don't think I've got it and, or my relationship with my family or my kids is not where I want it to be or the job that I hoped I would have and the feelings that I hoped I would have this time of year, I just don't have them. And many of us enter into spaces like this and we feel like Elizabeth. We just think I'm too old and there's too much water under the bridge and I have too many regrets. But God turned up in the life of an old lady and said, it's not too late for you. I'm going to do something in your life that's going to matter. And one of the challenges that I think many of us experience as we grow older is we begin to wonder if our life really matters. Like, does it really matter? Am I experiencing something that pulls me into the story or am I on the sidelines? And Elizabeth at this point was feeling like a sideline person. And yet God said, I'm bringing you in. So I just want to say to you today, if you feel like life has passed you by, if you feel like there's too much water under the bridge, if you feel like your disappointments have added up to more than your hopes, I just want to say God does things to write people like you and me into that story when we feel that way. Elizabeth was brought into the story of God, into the story of Christmas, and she said yes. And then there was joy because she got pregnant as an older lady hoping for life. And I'm not talking about pregnancy for you. I will never be pregnant, and yet this story means something to me because it's about God putting something in you when you think it might be too late for him to put something in you. So if that's you, I just want to speak hope to you, and I want to say God brings you into the story, not writes you out of it. But on the other side of the spectrum, we have Mary, probably between 12 and 15 years old, single, it's uncomfortable when a young person gets pregnant today as a teenager outside of wedlock. Back then, it was outright scandalous and shameful. It wouldn't have been uncommon for someone like her to be cut off from family, even possibly killed for transgression, for stepping outside of marriage, for violating that which was sacred, especially in a family like Mary's. She was a devout Jew. She and her family knew the scripture. She knew the Lord. And here we have not an old lady who's married and feeling like life has passed her by. We have a young woman, a girl by our standards, who to say yes to God meant that she was walking into scandal. So where Elizabeth would have felt like, 
I can't make room for God because I'm too disappointed. I'm too old. I've failed too much. There's too much water under the bridge. Mary would have been tempted to not make room for God because she felt unprepared, too young, not up for the challenge, unwilling to endure the scrutiny and the disappointment and the hostility. See, she had her own set of reasons for potentially writing herself out of God's story. And yet she says yes. Paul tells us that he prays and labors that Christ would be formed in us. Well, Mary is the only one for whom that literally happens. She literally decides to say yes when the Holy Spirit overshadows her to become a house for God, to let Jesus grow in her. So we have Mary and we have Elizabeth. One's too old, one's too young. One's too heavy and too sad. One's too insecure, maybe, or too afraid. And yet both of them say yes to God. And I believe that they together teach us how to say yes to God. And I don't know where you are. I actually find myself in a space like this identifying with both of them. There are places where I feel like too much has happened. And then there are places where I feel like I'm not ready. I'm not up for the challenge. And yet both Elizabeth and Mary say yes. And they say yes together. They actually come together and encourage one another. And it's a beautiful thing. The second thing I want to say to you is this. Jesus is born quite literally in the midst of uncertainty and pain, difficulty. So you've got the Jewish situation where the Romans are uh, persecuting them, essentially like a foreign military occupying presence. And so the Jews were always walking around nervous and scared. But then you've got Mary's situation, an unwed mother, uh, a child who had to flee from her little small hometown and live with her cousin in the hill country for three months while she let her pregnancy work itself out. This was a hard time for Mary. God was there and it was hard. And I just want to say to you, do you believe that God can be near you and things be hard? We, we've been sold such a therapeutic bill of goods in our culture where we begin to think sometimes that things are hard, something must be wrong, this must all be wrong. Well, what we have with Mary is someone who's facing a lot of difficulty and at the same time she knows God is doing something in her life. Can you believe that God is doing something in your life, even if you're facing something that doesn't make a lot of sense, something that feels really hard to sit with? Mary, a child by our standards, teaches us to hold those things in the right kind of tension. Can you learn from a 15-year-old girl? I think we should. And so Mary says yes. Elizabeth says yes. And they say yes in the middle of uncertainty, difficulty, and darkness. And I've said this over and over and over again because it's one of the principal ideas of the Advent season. God moves toward us in uncertainty, difficulty, and darkness, not away from us. So today, if you're experiencing some form of difficulty, darkness, uncertainty, I would say to you that the instinct of the heart of Jesus is to move toward you. He's moving near to you in those places, not removing himself from you. See, that's where God's not like some of our friends and family. God's not like the way the wider world works because the wider world distances when things get weird and God moves toward us when things get weird, even if part of the weirdness is on you. So Mary and Elizabeth experienced the nearness of God in the middle of trouble. And I would say to you that if there's one thing maybe that God wants to show you or say to you this week, it's that God can be near to you in the middle of pain. Maybe he's more near to us when we're in pain. 
Because when you're in pain, it's like all the superfluous stuff kind of starts to get knocked off of us. We have this invitation when we're in pain to become our most real and most raw and most honest selves. And I believe there's something intrinsically attractive about that to God. I believe that he moves toward us when we are in those places of liminality where things have been stripped off of us. So here's Jesus coming when things are hard. And I believe he wants to come close to you when things are hard. And then Mary sings a song. And a lot of Protestants get really uncomfortable with this song. We don't love like Mary being said that she's blessed among women because our Catholic friends and our Orthodox friends, uh, many of us believe have venerated Mary beyond what is reasonable. And so what we tend to do in the Protestant church is to say, well, she's just, you know, Mary's just like everybody else. I just want to say, I don't think you ought to be worshiping Mary, but I'm going to say Mary's not like everybody else. Mary is, a, is an exemplar of what it means to say yes to God. She had all the reasons to say no, and she said yes. And I believe there's something beautiful about that. So Mary writes poetry as a kid. And I don't know if you've ever read a lot of poetry. I don't know if you've ever read a lot of poetry that children write. It's usually not like this. This is pretty great. And Mary says three things. And I just, this is where we're going to leave it. She says three things in her song about God. God is kind. God is powerful. And God is is one who will help us. I just want us to think about that. I want, us, I want you to sit with that for just a moment. In uncertainty, Mary says, God, you are kind. God, you are powerful. You are able. And God, you are one who helps specifically the lowly, the places in our own hearts where we feel lowly, where we feel powerless. So I just want to ask you this question. Where do you need God to pull you into the story? Elizabeth, Mary. And where do you need in your own life to experience God's kindness or his power, his ability to help you? Because if we don't stop and, and reflect on what we need from God, then we just go from sermon to sermon and idea to idea. How many of you are old enough to remember overhead projectors and overhead projector slides? For those of you who are young, once upon a time, there was this box that would plug into a wall with a light on it, and it would project images that were not coming from a computer. They came from um, a, a, a generated acetate clear sheet with type written on them and you could watch almost magically um, things on the wall like this but it didn't these things cost ten thousand dollars i think this was cheaper i'm sure you could probably go to scott's antique market and find one it's amazing um, this is what i think information without transformation is like you put an overhead acetate slide up and you can see it but if you don't stop and ingest it and reflect on it and you just move on to the next podcast or the next sermon or the next book, then you, it's like laying another overhead slide on top of that one and then another and another and another. And soon enough, it's just a big jumbly mess of text, maybe text. You don't even know what it is. 
I believe that the Lord wants us to slow down so that we actually ask, what are you asking me to experience? What are you asking me to see, God? What are you asking me to receive? And what are you asking me, God, to ask you for? Where do you need his kindness today? Where have you not been kind enough to yourself? And you need to hear that God actually not just loves you because he has to, but he really likes you. He's fond of you. Where do you need to know that God is able to meet you where you are and hold you and move you through someplace where you're stuck? Some of us are stuck. Where do we need to feel the help of God? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be silent just for three minutes. And I want to ask you to ask God those questions. I want you to do what's very uncomfortable in church, which is to be silent. And I want you to think about and pray about where you have need of God and be as specific in your answers that you receive as you can. We're going to be quiet just for a few minutes. And then we'll pray and we'll move toward communion. But first, I want us to reflect. Where do you need God to meet you today?
at least half my praying these days is silence. I think if the time away for me taught me anything, it's that less of me and more silence is what we all need. See, God already knows where you need his kindness, his help, his power. I think he wants you to know where you need those things. And yet I know how hard it is to be still just for a couple of minutes. It's agonizing. Um, Some of you probably thought if I had known, I would have got up and gone and got myself a cup of coffee. And I get it. For the longest time, I avoided silence and prayer because I didn't, A, I didn't think it was prayer. I thought, well, if you're being quiet, that's not prayer. Um, So I avoided it and said things like, I'm not a contemplative. That's for other people. And then I remember reading um, Henry Nouwen's little book, The Way of the Heart, which really turned my whole world upside down. And there was a moment in that little book where Nouwen said that when I endeavored to be quiet in prayer, it was as if monkeys climbed to the top of the tree of my brain and started shaking the branches. And I thought, oh, well, that's what happens to me when I'm quiet. And so if you just have been dealing for the last few minutes with some monkeys, you're in really good company. I think Nouwen was like kind of a contemplative dude. So there you are. But the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who get more and more clear about what we long for from him so that we would begin to ask him and look for his help, his power, his kindness. If you're able, let's stand together.